The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus to bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary based on well-verified references fed through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Welcome. My name is Timothy Saunders. I'm one of your trio of co-hosts in the 77th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this early morning from southwest Turkey. As the sun rises here, whichever time zone you are currently experiencing, hopefully you're relaxing into the show the eager to hear some fascinating insights from our latest guest. I will soon be joined by Kintia from her infamous wheelhouse near San Francisco and Anessa Driscoll who is currently making her way across the Mojave Desert. This show is entitled, Exhuming the Truth. We're going to address an incredibly special and yet common event that occurs to all humanity, which is surprisingly seldom ever talked about in everyday life by many of the inhabitants of our planet's diverse and rich cultures. As a result, few know many of the precise details about it, either from being shielded by others or simply from those individuals who choose to generate a fear bubble rather than address this great unknown. That is, until the time inevitably comes when they may be compelled to deal with it head on. Some cultures journey through life totally at peace with the fact that our physical bodies eventually reach a point where they simply no longer function efficiently. However, for many, the mere thought of death leaves them cold totally or worse, brings on a sense of delusional abandonment to this important subject. The ancient Egyptians had no word for death. Instead, those who passed away were said to go west, like the setting sun. They also believed it was necessary to have their hearts weighed on a scale against the mass of a feather. Most of our predecessors were often buried with ritual and respect, often marked by special stones and or symbols. The Vikings used to burn their dead in ships. Some cultures rushed to bury their dead the same day as their passing. For others, this is less important than displaying the body to the entire family in an open casket. Even today, the UK royals are said to be buried in lead-lined coffins. While the dead during previous plagues are reported to have been buried in mass graves, we now see PPL more important than protocol. Death should surely serve as a positive reminder we should make the most of our life today and make every subsequent day count. Truth and knowledge illuminates what is shrouded in darkness. While physical death will come to us all, it is not only a concept we should get used to, it is one we should embrace. 
That is until we learn how to extend our lifespans, perhaps by optimizing harmful subconscious programming, and to learn how to remove and then avoid toxins from entering our sphere in the future. There is every possibility that we are far more than the sum of ourselves and our consciousness lives on, certainly through DNA transmission, most likely in other higher forms. Death is also at the heart of the unparalleled fear porn still being generated hand over fist by the minority distributed by our weak-minded public governments and amplified through mainstream and social media propaganda. So stay with us as we dig a little deeper while we gently navigate this sensitive subject with a view to learn more about just how our loved ones are treated between the instant their heart beats for the last time and the moment they are either engulfed in flames during cremation, put to rest, or lowered to a depth of six feet under in a coffin. Along the way, we will also discover the inside story from a very unique perspective, from one of the specialist individuals who carry out this delicate work each day with his team. And considering the population of the Northern Hemisphere is now entering its second winter during two weeks to flatten the curve of this insane foe pandemic, we will also learn some invaluable insights into the actual death numbers in relation to the COVID timeline before, during the first wave, and after the rollout of the experimental injections. Keith, please play sound excerpt A. The FDA had a meeting yesterday, one of their advisory boards had a meeting yesterday. That advisory board is called Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. And they had a meeting about the Pfizer vaccine and other vaccines yesterday. And at the four hour and 20 minute mark, this little bomb was dropped. Let me read it so I have it verbatim. In the FDA virtual meeting yesterday, the FDA advisory committee stated, we were falsely misled by Pfizer about the safety of the vaccine. Heart attacks are 71 times higher than any other vaccine. The vaccines are killing two people for every one life saved. Wait, you mean it's not FDA approved? You mean it's killing more people than it's helping? You mean this dangerous experimental vaccine that we have been telling you for months is a bad fucking idea? Is actually a bad fucking idea per the FDA? Huh. No shit. This is an excerpt from a recent podcast by Max Egan, who is now emigrated from down under to Mexico. More about that in future shows. Before we bring on our guests, I'd like to say a few words about a man who, unfortunately, I did not have the pleasure to meet. However, I am reliably informed he is a man worthy of special note and is someone who clearly lives on through his daughter. Thomas David Driscoll was born on August the 18th, 1928 in Columbus, Ohio. Tom was an entrepreneur and a gifted inventor who influenced many fields, including aviation, medicine, lighting, and implant dentistry. He led the design and development of the FAA standard VASI system, that visual approach slope indicator, which millions of air crews and passengers have benefited from. 
and to this day remains in use at many airports around the globe. He developed ultra-high-powered lamps that have illuminated the Empire State Building, the Guggenheim Museum, and even the Panama Canal. He also designed the first heart-lung machine, which was used to treat over 600 patients in central Ohio. Tom also designed the first freestanding dental implants, also known as Vicon implants, as well as devising a synthetic bone grafting material named Synthograft. Further, he published a paper on zirconia, which has become a widely used dental material. Tom went on to receive two coveted IR100 awards, likened to the Nobel Prize for Technology, one for Synthograft in 1982, and the other for the development of an infant respirator in 1973. Tom was an avid sportsman, a supportive mentor, a beloved friend, and a loving husband, father, and grandfather. Tom passed away earlier this year at the age of 92. He is sadly missed, but remains greatly appreciative. Let's take a moment to appreciate Tom's achievements. I believe he'll be remembered as a pillar of humanity. Let's just take a deep breath together and acknowledge Thomas Driscoll. He touched many lives, many who will never even know his name, and yet he had an impact on their life. From life-saving technologies to enhancing life technologies, Thomas was an unusual man. I had the pleasure of meeting him when he came to visit Annetta. I actually have had the opportunity to meet quite a few geniuses, but Thomas Driscoll, Tom, he stood out because he was very different than any of them. He was a gentleman, very gentle. The expressions on his face were gentle. There was nothing arrogant about him. In fact, if you didn't know he had all these accomplishments, he certainly wasn't tooting his horn at all. He was very welcoming and kind very friendly, genuine, and it had soft, gentle expression on his face. I enjoyed being around him. I was also struck by how limber he was. I mean, he, you know, when I met him, he must have been at least in his 70s, maybe going into his 80s, but he walked like a young person. He, he was not stiff. He, he was fluid. And I thought, that that reflected his fluid mind. It was a quick mind. And um, I'm really grateful I had that opportunity to meet Tom. You never know when you're going to meet a star. And I would say that's true for all of us. You know, you never know how many lives you're going to touch. So when I think about loved ones who've passed on, it is always for me a call to revisit what do I want to contribute in this life and how do I want to be remembered. Thomas was that kind of person. He contributed to many people's lives and it was just the natural expression of who he was. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. Annetta, uh, I want to thank you for introducing me to Tom. You want to tell us a little bit about your dad? Mm, yes, well, actually, I, I believe he was 84 when you met him. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> he had such a youthful continence. He did. He did. And uh, I'm lucky there because that runs with the family. So he, uh, he died one month short of his uh, 93rd birthday. And uh, interestingly enough, like Kandia was saying, he was, he was actually quite healthy uh, physically. Unfortunately, he was suffering from uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. We're not quite sure which. The most unfortunate thing about this for me and I think for everyone is that he was uh, placed against my will in a nursing home facility on March 13th, the day that uh, California went to lockdown, March 13th of 2020. And uh, although I traveled to, uh, he was in Ohio and I lived in California, I traveled to Ohio several times to try to visit him and I never was allowed to see my father again because of the uh, pandemic restrictions. And um, on top of that, there are a number of things. My stepmother who had medical power of attorney decided to give him the job. And ultimately this killed him. He died of a massive, massive blood clot in his brain. And uh, I actually had an experience of having him visit me in my dreams that night that he was dying. And, he showed me a very graphic and explicit autopsy of a brain and what was in it. Uh, and this, this was, it might sound a little strange to people, but I grew up uh, with my father. He was a biomedical scientist and he, he did biomedical um, engineering. I was always around him when I was a little kid, I would see autopsies and surgeries. So this would not be all that unusual. And then I also had a, um, an experience the next day, a video showed up that I've never seen before. I've never seen since. And I will have that included on the page about what I saw. If you're interested, I'll put it in my items. So I wanted to let people know that because you know, we hear about these people. Maybe you know someone, maybe you don't. But for me, when I talk about the dangers of the vaccines and what they really do, and we have all our guests on, this is very personal for me. It's not the only thing that I've experienced in my family. Most listeners know that I have a growing list of family members that have been affected very negatively by the lethal injection. And so I wanted to make that clear. And I also want to talk a little bit about, since we're talking about my dad, some of the things I, I refer to them in various shows, you know, it's, it's pretty frequent that I do so. My father was a really unique guy. He was really quite brilliant, and I was very, very lucky to have him as a father. He really believed that everyone should be very well-rounded, have lots of interests, and education should be well-rounded. And he also had a unique way of teaching things. He was very hands-on, and uh, he didn't want me to smoke. And so he was always bringing things home. And one day, I was young. I was probably uh, about mm, eight, nine years old. One day, he brings home two half-gallon uh, jars, uh, glass jars, and he plops these things in front of me on the, the table in the kitchen. And he says, so what do you see? So I'm looking at it, and, you know, I'm, I'm clearly looking at a body part in formaldehyde. And uh, 
like I'm taking a guess, but it looks like lungs to me. And uh, he's like, yeah, right, it's lungs. And uh, so what do you see? What's the difference? And, and he, you know, one of them looks, you know, pink and pretty healthy and stuff. And one of them looks black and tarry and really nasty, really nasty. And uh, he says, well, you know, what do you see the difference? And so I told him. And uh, he said, well, you know, we, we were cutting it short here, but, uh, you know, we talked about, a little bit about where these lungs came from. And the individuals that came from were both male. They were both 45 years old, both basically all identical except for one of them was a smoker. And that's how my dad taught me to never smoke. You know, it was always a story. It was always a in experience. It was very experiential. So, you know, he didn't want me to do drugs, so he took me down to Skid Row on a um, Saturday morning, and we had a, uh, he always liked to drive roasters. I came home from the hospital in the TR3, and we, I think at the time we had an Austin Healy Sprite and a Bug Eye Sprite, and uh, they, they run really low to the ground, like you're sitting on the ground, and the curb is right there, and the, the top was down. He pulls up, and it was, I don't mean to be totally gross, but there was, you know, uh, the odors were pretty significant and the, the the visual of these people that had had a very, very rough night and were literally in the gutters. And he said, you know, if you do drugs, this is what it, this is what happens. This is how you end up. And needless to say, I don't do drugs. I never have. <laughs> so, you know, he, he had these great ways of teaching and, and I talk about Thomism and I'm so grateful he was my father and that um, I got to have that experience. <laughs> and uh, I am sorry that he went the way he did with the, the vaccine because I know, I know that he would have never made that choice. He, he knew better. And he was always telling me about the FDA and about the government. So what's really disturbing and sad for me is that my father would never have agreed to taking the job. He understood the government and especially the FDA and the NIH. He battled these organizations his whole life. And he was always telling me about the corruption and also, you know, how things worked in the medical industry, how things were marketed, where the funding came from and why certain things that were inferior went ahead. So actually, I'm kind of well-suited for what we're talking about now in our world because I grew up with a father who was always pointing these things out. And it wasn't a conspiracy theory fact. It was an analysis because he was experiencing these things firsthand and running things through the patent offices and dealing with the FDA approvals and went through it my entire life. I watched him. Like many people that are ahead of their time, they get laughed out of the auditorium only to turn around 35 years later and, and be awarded these, these incredible awards. That was about Synthograph, in fact. I remember him being laughed out and the humiliation, and I remember him winning the top invention award for the same product 35 years later. So these kind of things happen. But I, I don't want to talk too much more except to say that I would encourage anybody if they hadn't had a father like mine to, you know, go ahead and learn all the different things you can and, and let your horizons be far reaching. My father was a expert cook 
and he taught me the love of food. He taught me the love of music, particularly classical music. We would dance in the living room at holidays and, you know, go stream stomping. And, I, you know, I know how to identify every tree and salamander. And he taught me the Latin names and the, uh, you know, the common names. And, you know, he taught me how to uh, uh, drive a manual transmission because he said, if you're ever going to drive a car, you need to know. So my father also taught me a lot of other skills. He was into gardening, which isn't, you know, terribly unusual. But he was a, he was a great landscape designer. He taught me how to work on my car, and I still do. And he taught me how to build lots of things. But one of my favorite things he taught me was he actually, as a father, taught me how to sew. So he had no boundaries with what was male or female, and, and I love that, all that I had that experience. My father was truly a renaissance man. And, you know, all these different things, I could go on and on all night, but really try to grab life by the horns and hopefully you get to live till 93 and have people that loved you. So that's what I'd like to say about my dad. Well, he sounds an incredible character. And uh, thank you for sharing that with us, Anetta. These are difficult times. And, you know, we know that while all this was going on a few months ago, these are also difficult times during his passing. So, Kintia, would you like to take us on to the next point? Well, I was just thinking this is the perfect time for a break. You're listening to The Other Side of the News, and our guest tonight is John Oluni, and the show is called Exhuming the Truth. We'll be right back. As you continue to work on yourself, the tribe comes forward. They'll come right to your door. So just keep doing the work and it'll come together. Yep, as you increase your frequency, then you become more mature in your manifestation abilities and your other higher senses and gifts come online and then you have more power to make your world different and better and how you want it. And so that's why working on yourself is so important because then you're going to create the reality that you want rather than get sucked into the dystopia that's being created by the negative or shadow side. We're becoming uh, renaissance men and women where we have multiple skill sets and we can dance from science into art and we can use both sides of our hemispheres and we can realize how much we have to really offer and uh, grow into. And this is what's happening now. This is where we're headed, into a really beautiful place. And so we can rejoice in that despite the fear, despite what it looks like on the outside. This is how disease transforms. The mess in the chaos is necessary in order to see what you have before you so you can clean it up and just make decisions to change your reality. If you don't see it, how do you know it's there to even be changed? Or if you will ignore it, right? Then how can you make the differences? You can't. So the mess is before us. Accept our mess. And now know that that's part of empowerment to be able to see and to be able to transform it. 
Hi, this is Amanda Vollmer, and I was on the other side of the news, and I really enjoyed my time discussing deeper topics and really getting to the heart of truth and the things that matter in this world and what we are doing and why we're here and, and what we're heading towards. I really recommend listening in and, and learning, uh, expanding your awareness and your knowledge. It's important and these are the times to do it and we're being asked to pay attention and to challenge ourselves and uh, think beyond, beyond the box. side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. I very much look forward to hearing our guest's perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofthenews.com. There you will see details for the show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there's a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and even download your own copies sooner than later, as censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. During the last week, we have been inundated by a deluge of remarkable events and headlines reported in the news. To discuss, validate, and present each topic in correct context could all too easily fill up an entire show by itself. As the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show, in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our special guest, John O'Looney. Good evening and welcome back to The Other Side of the News. Tonight, our show is Exhuming the Truth and our special guest is John O'Looney. And some of you may have heard him. He was kind of debuted on The Crow House with Max Egan. And he is a undertaker in the UK. And so he has firsthand knowledge about what is actually going on with the death and the recorded death. So with that, I'd like to bring John in. Welcome, John. Hi. 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 Thanks for having me on. <laughs> That's great to have you. So uh, what I wanted to talk about, I'm kind of a, a statistical person and I, I like a lot of facts and figures. 
And uh, I'd like to, to have your, uh, just, just kind of your outline on what you think is going on or what you've noticed with the numbers and what you've observed. So personally, um, uh, the first alarm bells for me were the death rate being extremely low um, and nothing like, you know, what was being portrayed on the news. Um, throughout 2020, in fact, the death rate in 2020 was well documented as being no higher than any other year, you know. Uh, the vast majority of funerals that we do in the UK are cremations. The cremation figures support that. You know, there was there was no pandemic death rate. Um, around uh, early 2020, I was contacted by a guy who identified himself as a pandemic um, a guy. He was sponsored by the government for a company. And he told me that he would be calling me every Monday to collate the numbers. Um, he would ask me what my capacity was, how many I'd collected, who um, who they were and where they were from and, and uh, how many were COVID. And almost instantly, the guy started steering me. And by that, I mean, he would, everyone was literally labelled a COVID death, you know, whether it was cancer or, or, or dementia and Alzheimer's and old age, you know, everyone he insisted were COVID. Um, uh, and I kind of, that just didn't feel right. And I, you know, kind of said to him, you know, I spoke to the family. This was a well-documented um, cancer case. The guys suffered with terminal cancer for the last 18 months. Oh no, no, we we know there was COVID in the care home. We know there was COVID in the in the hospice. We've been told and rinse and repeat. And this happened really throughout 2020. Um, even one guy that was run over was a COVID case. You know, the guy had tire marks from his shoulder to his hip, all over his abdomen. But he was a COVID case. Um, ridiculous. Uh, totally. Um, you know, there was no truth there at all, and it was um, it was deliberate. So, so was, there was that, and and then also in early 2020, when other funeral directors were taking coffins to the hospital and sealing people straight in them, I was uh, I was asked by a family who lost a young girl to uh, to cancer who was six. Um, they asked me to wash and dress her, and, and they wanted to spend time with their little girl, you know, and I couldn't bring myself to say no. Um, nobody else was washing and dressing. So I, I kind of washed and dressed this little girl for this family and then thought, well, do you know, if I can do that for them, I can do it for everyone. And that's what I've done all the way through COVID, whether these patients are labelled with COVID or not, you know, um, because I just felt it was unforgivable what the hospitals were doing, you know. There was no need for it, no reason, and, uh, and they streamlined the process. No doctors were in attendance, no police were in attendance. There was no COVID tests of any description, even the flawed PCR tests. So, so they were just labelling these people as COVID and, and letting them die, you know, um, often with midazolam um, and other sedatives, you know, um, needlessly. It was needless. And I've spoken to many nurses and doctors who have reached out to me to say that this took place in care homes where people were transferred into care homes and basically euthanised, you know, under the guise of it being a, a good, good death. And it certainly isn't a good death. It's murder. Um, these are people that would have recovered if they'd been given a course of antibiotics and the nursing staff have testified this to me um, on more than one occasion, number of occasions. They wouldn't let family in there because the families would have been witness and that was done again under the guise of it being incredibly contagious and really, you know, a terrible pandemic and it was just, the, to to the whole thing was total lies. Total truth. There was a virus, and as there is every year, and um, I suspect it was probably winter flu uh, or perhaps um, uh, a man-made virus, you know, that, that was being administered to people, perhaps even in the hospital environment, chillingly. Um, a, a pattern I noticed emerging in people was they were saying that people were going into hospital for, with other ailments, and all 
were catching COVID in there, you know, in the hospital environment. There were there were very very few that were admitted to hospital with with uh, with COVID. It was all done mostly mostly they caught it in the hospital environment. Um, and then in March they kind of said um, the care homes were going to be hit with COVID, and lo and behold, as if by magic, the virus seemed to target specific buildings, which I found unbelievable uh, and still to this day unbelievable and this was at the time governments um, purchased up to a thousand percent more sedative um, and all of it was used and the end result was was a massive death rate for a very brief period of two to three weeks in care homes Um, and again I've had nurses and doctors that have reached out um, and have confirmed what was going on you know they were the nurses were instructed to give 16 milligram doses and that's a fatal dose um, and again, the, the guys was told oh, to give them um, a, a good ending, you know, a merciful death. That's not, that's murder. But they know the law is clear in every country. Um, and yeah, it took place. Um, and now we have governments that legislate over us and tailor it for their own needs, but don't actually follow the law themselves. Um, and nothing's being said, nothing's being done. And now they plough into schools and coerce children not old enough to vote or drink a beer or, or drive a car or get a job or have sex um, legally, um, but they can be coerced behind their parents' backs to take a life or death decision over a, an experimental gene therapy. You couldn't make it up. It's like a, a terrible horror story, uh, and this is life in 2021. So, right. so well, yeah. <laughs> 2020, it, it, um, it kind of went without um, any pandemic despite the best efforts that were made uh, um, and there's a number of fronts this death rate as uh, they've made effort on so one is medical neglect people are not being seen by their GPs they're not being referred to hospitals in a timely fashion they're not seeing um, people for scans and I've had families that come to me very upset because their loved one has been um, prescribed or given Gaviscon for 18 months when they've actually had pancreatic cancer or something like that but they've you know no attempts have been made to actually treat them so, so there's medical neglect there. Um, in more than one family has come to me uh, frothing with rage and grief and disgust uh, at the way these governments have treated the, the, our uh, people. And it got to the stage where November, December, we were doing funerals, but it was no busier than normal. And the figures collate, you know, they, they, they say that despite the best efforts they made in care homes, they still weren't. It really any increase on 2019 in fact 2019 was was busier cremation wise locally um, and I kind of suspected what was going on and I predicted that once they began vaccinating which was in January the 6th in 2021 in my area that deaths would occur um, and lo and behold as if by magic the death rate went through the roof instantly um, around 300% uh, I guess and it was horrific um, and that lasted about 12 weeks until it petered off, um, and that was their, what they called the second wave. It wasn't a second wave; it was death by injection. I'm pretty confident in that. And, and um, you know, a number of doctors uh, and scientists, uh, and police officers, uh, and military people, and care home staff, and they're all saying the same thing, and nobody's listening. You know, very interestingly, I was um, asked to go to London on the 21st of September to have a meeting with Sir Graham Brady, who's the chairman of the uh, 1922 committee. Um, He's a very senior Tory MP. And I was surrounded by uh, around 16 or 18 of the best scientific and legal minds globally. You know, the likes of Dolores Cahill, Tess Laurie, um, Dr. Um, uh, 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 Bhakti, 
Sukhrit Bhakti, uh, and, and a number of other really eminent people, you know, none of whom I was really aware of, but who are all very aware of what is going on. And we all gave testimony individually to, to Sir Graham, um, and he didn't really seem surprised at all. You know, in fact, I would suggest he knew full well what was going on. Um, and he left saying he couldn't make any promises and that he would do what he could and nothing's changed, sadly. Um, so he was told that children will die as a result of these injections. And already we've seen this in this country. Um, there was a girl down in Essex um, at 12 years old who died. There are others. They're not being linked. Um, it's usually blood clots, the early deaths. Um, and then later on, it will be organ failure um, or heart attack or stroke, um, again, due to blood clots. Um, it's happening all over the place. I'm getting people reach out to me. They've lost both their parents, literally days after a jab. Um, but the way they're, they're angling it is that, um, you know, you're not considered vaccinated until 14 days after, which by that, which time, you know, you're dead before 14 days. So, so they're not tying these deaths in. Um, I kind of like to think the best in people. I suspect most politicians, because it's a global movement, most politicians are complicit. Um, that obviously is really concerning and harrowing that they could, you know, these men of supposed integrity and honour could do this to their own people. It's probably the most heinous crime that you could ever commit. And now we're seeing children directly targeted in schools. Um, they were told what would happen with children and lo and behold, children are dying. So, so that's kind of where we are, unfortunately. Um, what will, I kind of left the meeting. I went to the meeting full of hope that Sir Graham would actually make a difference and do something. Um, but he hasn't done anything. Nothing's happened. Uh, and, you know, children are dying now alongside um, regular, uh, you know, uh, the regular people that coerced and blackmailed and bullied into taking these, these injections. I call them injections because they're not vaccination. You know, um, uh, and, mm -hmm. and I believe that we're seeing a de depopulation event. They're becoming very complacent about it um, now. They've, I mean, if you were to type blackmail into Google, um, it's a crime. And yet here we have a government coercing employers to blackmail their, their employees into having a jab with the threat of the loss of their job. You know, these people are criminals. They're, they're criminals. They're inciting yeah. crime. Um, uh, and, uh, do you know, I think I, I kind of left the meeting. I went to the meeting full of hope that something was actually going to be done and that the, there was decent, honourable, good, honest men in government, in the British government. And I kind of learned there isn't, there isn't any. They all know. They know what's going on. And, and the feeling was one of despair when this guy left because it was pretty obvious to everyone. Um, uh, and I feel now that only people will save people and only numbers of people will save people. And unless people wake up and realise what's happened, um, very soon you're going to see a vast number of ejection recipients get sick and they will die um, and they'll call it a new variant and they're going to uh, bring down draconian laws and probably violate every human rights law and the Nuremberg Code and begin forced vaccination. Um, and then the real terror begins, doesn't it, you know, for, for everyone. Um, so that's kind of where we are. Um, I wish it weren't true, but it, I can't deny what I've seen as an undertaker um, and from, you know, what, what uh, kind of information and evidence has been given to me from the very, very expert people that I've met. Now, interestingly, The Guardian, I think The Times reported the meeting with Sir Graham on the 21st and said we were a group of anti-vaxxers. Now, let me be very clear here. Dolores Cahill is the most wonderful lady who built her career 
on vaccinations. You know, she's run and been in charge of level three bio labs. She's advised government. She was advising government in her 20s. Uh, and I guess she's probably um, in her late 50s now, perhaps a little bit older. Um, uh, so, so she is at the very, very top of her game, as are all the other people. They've built their careers working around vaccines. These are not anti-vaxxers. These are anything but. And they are experts in their field. They see a terrible wrong. I see a terrible wrong on the coalface um, dealing with the funerals. And uh, the last couple of weeks, I've dealt with people in their 20s, in their 30s, all JAB recipients who have died suddenly from unexpected heart conditions. They've come into me. They've been cut from ankle to hip where the coroners have been looking for the blood clots. Um, the blood clots are reported, um, but not the cause of the blood clots because they're not considered vaccinated. You know, um, you couldn't make yeah. it up. It's like a terrible, terrible yeah. horror film that I can't wake up from. Um, and nobody seems concerned. Clearly, this is depopulation, you know. Um, now, Sir Graham was warned by the people present at the meeting that there was a growing unrest. And when people realised what this government were doing to them, they would kick off and there'd be extreme civil unrest. Um, his response, um, we were told, was, was that the government expected that and they're actually surprised it hadn't happened already because they've done what they can, haven't they, to decimate the economies around the world. Um, and this includes today now even lorry drivers' jobs are at risk because they've decided they're going to enrol prisoners to drive the lorries for minimum wage. Um, it's a deliberate act. What part of it don't people see? Do you know? I, I don't um, know because I, for, I keep pointing these things out. Yeah, yeah for, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, and it seems to me that a lot of people are kind of so horrified, they feel it can't be true, so it isn't true sort of thing, you know? Yes, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance going on here, and I, I actually want to bring it back to a couple things. Um, I, you know, we're a little short on time, so I, I can't get into all the things with the shipping, and uh, I, I believe that in the States, because we have Second Amendment rights, they cannot come at us quite the same way as other countries, so they're trying to starve us out. I, Yes. That's what I think. Yeah. Uh, and I also wanted to bring up briefly about the, uh, the immune systems uh, being reduced to uh, the equivalent of AIDS. It actually is AIDS uh, yes. at, at, a, at a rate of 5% per week, which yes. brings us to Christmas uh, for a, a vast majority of the people in the United States. Uh, brings them to Christmas to having zero immunity against anything. And then uh, for the rest of them, depending on their age range, I, I had it all on a chart, but I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I'll, I'll try to get that posted. But uh, they also are going to go. So I think that the, the problem here with the government, the reason they're so being, being so draconian and being so nasty, and it will probably continue through the end of the year, is that they want to get us vaccinated. Uh, they want everyone to get it because everyone's going to catch on. It will be revealed because people are, you, you cannot hide this you know, no matter what you do after a certain point, it's not to be hidden, which, which brings me to the, uh, when you, you were just had a little bit of a uh, break right before this uh, with, yeah, a, yeah, with a yeah. family. I wish you would, could you tell us that story? Cause it really, yeah, so, and I can tell you, they really won't mind me relaying that story. So they had a 28 year old daughter who went into hospital for a minor procedure and she was coerced while she was in there into having a shot and died in the bed um, a short while after um, from a blood clot. Um, so so uh, 
we had a cremation funeral and they've just come in and collected their daughter's ashes. Um, and as you can imagine, they're very, very upset, very angry. They know what's happened. They know what's happened. But obviously the, the health authorities and the government are not, they're dropping them um, like a shitty stick, to be honest with you, to be frank. They, they don't want to know them. They're, they're very, very angry. And do you think any of those family are going to take that shot? No, no, I mean, I, no, that's no, the they're going to have to, they're going to fight to the death to, to avoid that, you know, and who can blame them? You know, we know what's happened. I know what's happened. And this is not one death. It's loads of deaths. I've looked after a 32 year old, 33 year old, a 42 year old. They're all youngsters, you know, uh, and um, all sudden deaths or organ failure mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. other one. As, as the, the immune system breaks down, you know, and the, and the organs begin to fail. Um, this is what's happening, you know. Uh, yeah. and it's, it's quite sad because people kind of say to me, oh, you're so brave, you're so brave. What kind of guy would I be to know what I know and not say anything? Do you know? I, I, I just, why would I not say anything? You well, know, I'm a man that actually cares about people and I've got a moral compass. And here I see something terrible happening uh, and nobody wants to address it. Nobody in government wants to address it. They want to force vaccinate and they want to break the economy and destroy us all and have petrol shortages and water shortages and cut the electricity. And, you know, they're absolutely crackers. These people are insane. They are. Well, I say to people all the time, if you're compliant, you are complicit. If you are not fighting this, then you're not on the right side. If you're not going against it, if you're not speaking out, you are on the wrong side, period, in the story. I totally agree. But what you've got to remember is these people, a lot of them are victims. uh, And we're not going to... There's no way on earth our governments are here to look after us. They're here to destroy us. I know that now. Uh, The only way we're going to survive is to re-engage with the masses who have been deceived and who will get sick and they will die. And only then will they realize, but they'll probably not be able to fight is the reality. And that's what the governments, certainly the British government, I fear are holding out for until the masses start dropping. What a great excuse to to introduce martial law. You know, you know. people from houses you know yes well in the art of war as you know it is uh it is much more efficient to wound the enemy because it takes three people to take care of a wounded soldier versus to kill them and i think that's exactly what's going on here and they're 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 weakening everything weakening people i mean they started from the beginning weakening immunity keep you indoors you know suffocate you put a diaper on your face yeah of course and uh if you're um um you know, and if you're coerced into wearing one, I refuse to wear one. I would never wear one because I know the truth. I've dressed 140 people they've labelled with a, a fake virus now, um, many of whom I suspect have been and unlawfully killed. I've never worn a mask. My wife's helped me. She's never worn a mask. My embalmer's helped me. He's never worn a mask. It's a miracle we're alive. Mm-hmm. Surely, you know, and many of these people, because they've streamlined the system, um, I've been able to pick them up within 20 minutes of their death on occasion. You know, they're still very much warm and very much infectious if they were going to be infectious. They're not infectious. Yeah, well, that gets back to a whole other thing of, of, you know, what we've been lied to about science and, you know, I mean, I'm in, I'm in no doubt about what's happening. I don't think right. any of us are, you know. We're all right. singing off the same hymn sheet there. The, the, what I fail to understand is why. Why would you want to kill everyone? Why? I mean, well, obviously, that's, that's, it's depopulation, but for what reason? That's a whole other show, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, I mean, is there a, short, a shortage of resources? Is the biosphere, mm. biosphere struggling? Is there a cataclysmic event about to happen? 
I don't understand why you would want to kill people's children. Yeah, that's, well, that's that's the whole thing where they don't they don't see us as the same species. We are useless eaters to them. We are not the same. You know, we are children of a lesser no, we're god. Far How would you want to, we're far better than that. No, that's what they say. That's that's what yeah. they say. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, no, I agree though with them in that we're not the same as them. We're far better. Absolutely, absolutely. We have, you know, what this this whole vaccine, and it gets much more nefarious as far as the separation of the, you know, on a spiritual level. Speaking of which, I want to I want to shift because I know we have limited time, and I know yeah. that that uh, Kenzia wants to get to some really juicy questions that aren't so dire as the one yeah. <laughs> that we just yeah. talked about. So I'm going to pass the baton to her, and okay. take away Kenzia. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, so John, I'm so deeply moved in hearing your firsthand account of what's going on there in the UK. And I'm also curious about the families. You keep mentioning the families, and and I'm curious to know what kind of – you've touched on their responses. Do you see them taking action together? How do you see them moving forward? um, There's there's a mixture. So some families um, are uh, blissfully unaware, you know, um, and the conversation will go much like – has mum or dad been um, vaccinated? Then they'll say yes, and they'll understand the angle of that question because they'll lead in with, oh, but it can't be that because it was eight weeks ago. It can't be that because it was 12 weeks ago. They just don't make the connection, or they do make the connection, but can't believe that their government would do that to them. You know, so so there are, I mean, it, it brings to mind the words, you know, ignorance is bliss. And if you're totally unaware and you think it is a natural death, how much nicer than than realizing and coming to terms with the government have killed your loved one so uh, and other people are well aware and they're very upset and they're very angry where do you go with that nowhere there is nowhere to go you can ask the coroner to take a look he'll say i've taken a look it's a thrombosis and they'll say but it was just after you said well you know it's a thrombosis they won't they're not allowed to dig any deeper than that and these people are uh, are being threatened with their jobs. I know because I've had them reach out to me. You know, they're not only will they lose their job, but they'll be struck off their medical registers. And they're slave, we're all slaves to the money lender, aren't we? So, so these people are complicit from through blackmail and, and coercion and, and intimidation. Um, and that's what's happening. So, so, you know, I kind of, the, what disappoints me the most, I think, is the short-sightedness because what do these people think is going to happen when they've, finished with the last of us and the last ones have been herded up into these death camps mm-hmm. um, that have sprung up everywhere do they really think they're going to have a need for a coroner or a need for a local police officer or a need for a local mp you know or the need for a british prime minister when there is no one left mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know they won't they won't and they will turn on them they will turn on them and there'll be no one here to fight for them you don't see any watershed moment like there must be some pent up frustration that's going to explode. I I mean oh, I can is. imagine yeah, yeah, you trying to contain it, but at some point say they take one of your children, now they're aiming for your next one, I would hmm. fight to the death. Yeah, I, I certainly will. Oh yeah, I certainly will. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna allow that. I'm not gonna allow that. And if that means I have to do a runner, I'll do a runner. And if that means I have to fight whoever comes to the death, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do because that's what I'll have to do because we're under a deadly attack. 
you know so, so you know make no 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 bones about it you are under a deadly attack you know um, but i like to think that in a democracy our our uh, uh, human rights and our auton- autonomy over our own bodies and the uh, and something that our grandfathers collectively fought and died to form the nuremberg code would be respected but it seems that these people are so complacent now they openly just openly ignore it they're not interested so so, you know what don't people understand about the gravity of that situation well i think also it's probably the education here because the younger generation probably doesn't even know about the nuremberg code and they probably have purposely not been taught about it well i think that's exactly the case in fact this is um uh, probably a discussion for a whole other show isn't it the education system Right, right. Fundamentally broken from the bottom upwards. It's it's a twisted, sick beast that um, I would certainly um, love to pull my child out from on a permanent basis in a heartbeat because it's it's broken beyond repair. And they're preaching um, sick doctrine, twisted ideologies, um, socialist values, and and all other manner of really inappropriate stuff in, in certainly in in British schools now that is just not acceptable. You know. Um, but uh, and I, there's a growing number of people that feel like that. But unfortunately, um, do you know the government? We're all slaves to the moneylender. People have to go to work, don't they? You know, right. so kids have to go to school. And unfortunately, um, it doesn't matter whether you vote for these murderous Tories or Sakir Starmer. Now, Sakir Starmer is the only opposition that's going to get in. He was the guy in charge of the Crown Prosecution Service at the time. They chose not to prosecute Jimmy Savile, the notorious paedophile. Mm. Uh, you know, um, despite the mountain of evidence against him. Um, so you have no choices, really. No, there, there is no choice. There is no mm-hmm. choice until we get proportional representation. They talk about the Great Reset. I'd like to see them reset. I'd like to see them reset and them languishing in the prisons they've built for innocent people. Right. So I'm curious. I, at one time, I worked as a florist. And so I, I also dealt with families that were facing the death of a loved one. Yeah. And there were times when I would notice that, you know, this is a moment of great reflection. It's a moment of you take a pause and you review your life. You can't help yeah, but course. review your life when the loved one goes. Yeah, and course. so I'm wondering, as you're witnessing these families, what are you noticing in that dimension? Is there some I mean, is it going beyond just simply the frustration of it? Is there a, a higher octave of this, of another view well, of I this? I think um, if you uh, inevitably, a lot of people say to me, I could never do your job. And there's a number of reasons they say that. One is the kind of blood and guts side, if you like. Well, my father, when I was growing up, he was a butcher. So I was in and out of a butcher shop. Uh, and the inside of an animal is very much the same as the inside of a human. So the blood and gut side never really phased me, you know, because I was exposed to it from an early age, um, sides of beef and the inside of lambs and stuff. The other side of it, of course, is the grief um, and the emotional side. And I kind of put a positive spin on it where I actually go home and think, actually, I've had a really good day. That said, um, it's, uh, you know, you kind of feel you're making a difference uh, and it's something really worthwhile. When people come to see me and they're, they're at their lowest ebb, you know, they've lost someone who's perhaps the most important figure in their life or their, their, their closest loved one, their soulmate, whatever. It's really tough. It's really tough. But, you know, the added 
kind of um, the added grease to that now is, is dealing with them knowing that they're possibly um, been unlawfully killed. That kind of adds to the grief. You know, I can't get my head around that. And it's, it's very painful. It's very painful for me as a funeral director, you know, dealing with that, um, especially when a family's kind of oblivious. When they're oblivious, it's kind of deception and murder. It makes it that much worse, at least to my mind, you know. Um, uh, and then you've got the families that are really angry with nowhere to go and no, they're never going to get any justice. They're never going to see justice, are they? Um, no. unless, unless we get it for them collectively. Um, I think here is where it becomes a, a question, a, an internal question. Hmm. At some point we have to look to our, uh, you know, a sense of our eternalness. And I think that when we're pushed, as far as we can in the material plane, that's when we break through to looking to other realms of understanding. Are you seeing any of that? Uh, probably on a personal level a little bit, I suppose. Um, religiously, it's, it's very interesting how, I, I mean, I'm not, I've never been a deeply religious man. I, I find myself praying daily now. Uh, and Obviously, during the course of my work, I'm exposed to um, all different faiths, and I've got a great respect for them. Uh, and, you know, I, I kind of, you, 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 you read scripture and you see bits and snippets, and a lot of what is going on is in scripture almost mm -hmm, perfectly. Mm -hmm, uh, and mm -hmm. that um, can only really lead you down a spiritual path, I, I believe, you know. And I kind of, I draw comfort from that because it, death is a journey that we're all going to make. I'm not frightened of death. I'm frightened of continuing to live the way we are with people being murdered all around us by people that we're supposed to be able to trust and are supposed to be looking after us, you know, doing that. That's, this is no way to live. So, so I'm not frightened of death. I, I, I you know, and I kind of, I, I pray daily in the hope that there is a higher being and that he will come and save us from this terrible evil that's taking place because if he doesn't, I don't know who will, you know, will people rise up? I really don't know. I really don't know. I'd like to see it. And I'd like to, I'd like to follow that banner, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I see what's happening firsthand, you know, and if I was on my own with this and it was, and I was a conspiracy theorist and an anti-vaxxer, I could understand, you know, people having doubts, but I'm seeing this firsthand. I'm not in any doubt whatsoever. I've seen the evidence. I've spoke to the families. I've spoke to the doctors, the nurses, the scientists. I've had audience with Sir Graham Brady. They just don't give audience to conspiracy theorists, you know. I watched right. the body language on that man's face. He knew. He knew. Right, and my, right. my speciality is people, you know. And it's very mm -hmm. interesting. While everyone was kind of giving their address, and the table was focused on whoever was speaking. I focused solely on Sir Graham mm. because his body language and uh, his reaction to, to the gravity of what was being said spoke volumes to me about him and how much he did or didn't know. And I genuinely believe that perhaps Sir Graham was there to gauge what we knew. Exactly. Uh, that, which is really, really quite sad because I always thought he was quite an honorable, decent human being, but um, perhaps I've read him wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's interesting how you phrase that you're, you're afraid of living this way and touching on the scriptures. I, I have always thought I'd live in these end times, but they're also beginning times. 
And I think our species is on the brink of a huge change. And I, I do hold the vision that something is coming in, but I don't see it as outside us. I see that power is coming from within us as like we're cells of a giant cosmic organism and it's mm. about to be revealed. So I think you only have to look, I mean, for anyone with uh, the least inquiring mind who's looked up at the plethora of stars that litter our skies and knows they're all suns, they're all suns that support other life and they will have people up there perhaps looking at our star. And it mm-hmm. would be lovely to feel part of that. But we've, of course, this is information we've collectively been denied, isn't it? So, it is. so I, I think anyone who thinks we're alone is is very um, narrow-minded and perhaps um, has been brainwashed because a, a glance into the sky reveals all. Um, who those are, who those people are, uh, and where they live and what they're all about, I'd love to know. I'd love to know because I love meeting new people, you know. And, you know, we could be, I feel, so much more than we are. It's just sadly, I mean, imagine if they've made this much effort to cure cancer. Well, you maybe know? they've been making the effort to create cancer. Maybe yeah, it's not I, about I, I, um, curing, honest, but yeah, creating. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. But imagine if this amount of effort was made for good. Right. Well, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. And by the way, we we tend to think of ourselves as conspiracy analysts. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) You know what? I want to bring Timothy in here. I'm sure he's chomping at the bit. uh, Yeah, Timothy? Well, thank you very much. The... Yeah, the honor is mine. I first heard your voice on the Richie Allen radio show, and then I heard your in-depth interview with Max Egan. Yes. And you certainly came to the surface in, in my on my horizon. And you, you had literally millions of people hear your voice. And that voice was one of the very first voices we've ever heard. I say we, we've been researching and doing this show for, for what, a year and a half or something now. And, you know, your voice is one of the very few that came from this, this direction where, where people, you have firsthand experience of people making the transition from, from life to death. Yes. So I'm, I mean, frankly, you, you, your conversation so far with Kintia and with Anessa, you, you've, you've gone through, ripped through so many points of information, which uh, I was going to ask you, but I'm delighted because it means that we can move on to perhaps some different subject matters. Yeah, yeah. What, what, one of, not different, but different, different perspectives, perhaps. What, one of the key points that we're, we're also living in is this air of censorship, and yes. I'm, I'm very keen to ask you, following, you know, your interviews where you, you did gain so much prominence and so much attention mm. because of your, your first-hand truth, yes. how have you been treated by, firstly, your colleagues or your, your com- competition or, your, or the authorities? Well, it's very, very interesting because um, my first kind of... Uh, I, I was obviously seeing what was going on firsthand on the coalface, and I was also seeing on social media the hysteria uh, and the censorship from anyone who began to speak out. And I felt compelled. I, I just wasn't happy. I could see that what was being told to us was a total lie. Um, and that feeling got stronger and stronger as the evidence piled up. 
um, in front of me. And now I was on YouTube um, probably eight months ago, nine months ago. I had a YouTube account and somebody made a comment about some COVID hysteria. And I kind of commented uh, and said, look, I'll be honest, as an undertaker, that isn't what I'm seeing, you know? And within a couple of weeks, there was like five or 600 likes on that comment. And then my YouTube account was without warning, just closed. Um, what, a, what a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a surprise to me because I didn't expect that, you know? I kind of, and then I kind of thought that kind of added fuel to my fire because I thought then I'm definitely onto something here. So, so then obviously I, I've kind of posted a few books on Facebook and again, I'm banned instantly, you know, Reuters, uh, interestingly discredited me, said that I didn't exist. Um, mm. I was on Twitter. <laughs> I had a following of around 17 and a half thousand, literally within a, a couple of weeks. And I openly invited publicly invited Reuters to speak to me because I couldn't understand how they could discredit me and say that I didn't exist. When here I am, I'm not hard to reach. I've given everyone my, my details, my funeral home details. I've answered thousands of phone calls, thousands of emails. And I openly invite any politician to come and speak to me and have an open televised debate and reassure me that what they're doing is right. Uh, um, but nobody seems to want to do that. So, so, so I kind of, you know, I kind of, I know what's going on uh, and it pains me. It really, it just pains me. It, it is, people... it, it's, it's insanity. It literally is the living embodiment of insanity. Well, you know, when I see a child, uh, what do you see when you look at a child? I, I see uh, a beautiful young soul that you should want to love and nurture like a young plant, you know, and, and teach things to and protect uh, and nurture into a good um, person that contributes to society and you know you have a responsibility as an adult to do that so the thought of someone wanting to deliberately do them harm I can't grasp that concept uh, and what it is you know what, what, what a sick twisted mind that must be um, and certainly of no of, of, of no uh, benefit to anyone whatsoever on this earth and they should be um, eradicated from this earth and I'm not on about doing anything like they're doing to us I think in the much the same way as a rabid dog they should be li literally just euthanized and cast out of society altogether because they are destroying society you know why would you want to do this to a young child I can't and I think the trouble is we go through life don't we and we think that everyone's like us where you have a moral compass and you look at a child and think what a beautiful thing that is and how we should nurture it and, and, and want to teach it and protect it, that child. And, but they don't. They just seem to want to hurt and maim and kill them. And, and that, it kind of goes against every, everything that I can mm -hmm. imagine, you know? In, uh, you know. Do they look at your child and think, let's kill it, whilst they look at their own child and think, there's the heir to my throne? Or what's the difference, I don't understand, between um, a prime minister's child and my child? What's the difference? Well... I don't think there's anything, there is no difference in, in the big picture, but, but the point is that, you know, there is this, this you know, separating groups of society, mm. um, more than more than two, that there's the, the ones that are sort of, the, as I say, the, the puppet leaders, yes, uh, the weak-minded puppet leaders, they're driven yeah. by the puppet masters, and then we, the people, are, are sort of somehow se uh, segregated between those which are, uh, pro follow um, the advice and just you know go and get jabbed and those 
of us who are standing up and, and trying to bring more awareness, awareness and, and actually sharing the truth. So I think um, the thing that concerns me the most is when you're in a position um, that I'm in and you see what these jabs are doing and you see the death and the misery and the sickness and illness and what on earth do these people think would possess me to want to allow that in my body or in my child's body? My wife is terrified now because she sees firsthand what's happening, you know? Why would they think that we would want that in our bodies? And, and I think this is why you're going to see a mass exodus from the NHS because they see firsthand. They're treating these vaccine injuries. They speak to the, the patients and they know what's going on. So many of these people simply will never, ever allow that into their bodies willingly. Indeed. John, uh, going back to my question, I, I don't wish to go in circles. Yeah, but of course. Are, are, there, are there competitors out there in your city, in your yeah, area, which, yeah, which are buying, which are towing the line and actually going along with this? So some of them um, will be um, totally uh, invested in COVID, and, and I suspect those will be the ones who have been double jabs, for example. You have to remember, when this first happened and we were um, all told about it, everyone was very frightened, you know. They were going to the hospitals with coffins and sealed body bags. People were going straight in, the coffins were being sealed there, or the body bags were being taken back to base and the body bags were being placed in a coffin, you know. Yeah. And there was a number of reasons for that. Some of them would have been because they were invested in COVID and believed it and were very frightened. For others, it became very easy to do that because there's a minimum of effort required. So yeah. that lends itself to people who perhaps don't really want to make the effort and perhaps don't really care. I, interestingly, though, I, I'm being reached out to almost daily now by other undertakers who are all saying, thank you so much. It's so important what you're talking about. And, and you know, we support you fully, and but they're all terrified because anyone that's going to commit mass murder and mm -hmm. genocide on a global scale won't think twice about bumping off a mouthy undertaker, will they? And I, I know that, you know, I fully accept that. But if my legacy could be saving one life somewhere, then I don't care. Kill me, you know, I really don't care. It's, uh, I, um, because living like this is just mm. it's horrible so anyway, isn't it? You know. Brave and honourable sentiments. Well, may I, I may don't I, feel I, that he is brave. I think it well, would be it would be far harder not to say anything because I have well, a moral compass that drives I, me to do that. I agree with you, but what I'm saying is that you know one thing is talking hypotheticals and principles, mm. but another thing is that people do need to pay their mortgage or they need to pay their yeah, rental car or their credit card, whatever it yeah, is. And those but, people are the ones that I I feel very sorry for because. Yeah they really are being coerced and yeah, manipulated to higher levels than yeah. perhaps people who are more independent. I would sooner live in a tent in the woods, though, than I would allow them to poison me well, because you'd have no life at all, would you? You, you know, you get sick and you'll die. It's, it's, that's the reality. Um, so for me as a business, I've found that it's actually benefited my business because People see the integrity and the honesty in me, and they're flocking to me. I've had to turn work away, you know, um, because I don't have the capacity to look after everyone. Um, you know, John, there's only go on. So I was say one of the things that this leads perfectly on. One of the things that came across from listening to your early interviews, and also when we we talked since then, um, is the care and attention you do give to. Uh, of the, the people who have, have lost their lives. And yeah, of one, one of the things that I'm very curious about, and I, I don't mean to be morbid in any way at all, but you know, death is coming to everybody. The, the physical body 
will at a certain point not continue in its physical form, we can speculate hugely about what happens after that point, about the soul or the spirit, whatever yes. it is. I'd love to talk about that. I think it's going to have to be in another show. But right now, I'm very curious to know, for example, I lost my father uh, some years ago. Mm. And what happens, okay, what normally happens between the moment somebody uh, is, is signed off as uh, deceased yeah. and what happens between that moment and the moment in which case they are either cremated or put to rest or, or buried. May I ask you just the very basic stepping stones of what you go through? Because I think most people don't know this. Yeah, so I would get a phone call to go and collect someone from their place of death if it was outside office hours. Um, obviously, it would be outside the hospital environment. I would go and collect that person. Um, they'd be placed on my stretcher and placed in my ambulance and brought back to the funeral home. I would comb their hair. I would put cream on their face because their skin dries out otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would measure them to, for a coffin and I would take a handprint. And the idea of taking that handprint is to be able to put that on a piece of paper and put mm-hmm. a photograph next to it and laminate it so that they can hold their mum or dad's hand and look at that photo. And it's just something, yeah, it's just something that I find people, uh, it gives them comfort. So I do it and I do it for everyone, you know. Um, so then I would arrange to meet the family um, the following day, perhaps, or, or later in the week, depending on when the, the, you know, the call came in. And I would sit and arrange the funeral with them. Um, and book that online. Most of them are cremations, um, yeah. and then would tailor the funeral for them. So, if mum or dad like certain things, then you know those certain things we would try and implement them mm. into the funeral. Uh, I hasten to add, you know, I'm not one for selling add-ons. My my feeling is, for example, with limousines, they're an expensive taxi. Did you know? And I tell people mm-hmm. that, so, you know, whilst mm-hmm. I can get them for you if you want them and you want to be able to focus on grieving, okay, um, that's that's fine, but. My advice is if you can bring yourself to drive, drive, because it saves, saves, saves your money. Uh, and money's for the living, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, and, and if you spoke to anyone's parents, and I can tell you my dad, he always say to me, put me in the green bin, Do you know? Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, there'd be plenty of people that laugh just like you did then, because mm-hmm. all our parents would all say the same. Uh, and um, everyone that comes in is no exception. They're there because they love their mum or dad, and their mum and dad love them, and that's why they feel like that. So, so I, I don't encourage people to spend a penny extra than mm-hmm. they have to spend. And, and then simple little things, like I'll ask them what kind of things that mum and dad likes. And if she loves knitting, I'll put some, um, you know, some knitting balls and need, knitting needles on the coffin plate or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's just little bits to make it personal. Do you, do you also dress, dress the bodies? Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, all of them. Yeah, wash and dress all of them, whether mm-hmm. they're, even if there's no viewing, because it's important. Especially when you feel that sometimes in hospitals, you know, people have lost their loved one over a Zoom call or standing mm-hmm. there in a hazmat suit and they haven't been cared for. It's, it's important that you do care for them. I want them to feel cared for the care that they didn't have in life. So one of the things that strikes me very, very clearly is, is you're offering a great deal of you know, care, compassion, and uh, you're, you're sending people on, on their way in, in dressed in, in a way that they, you know, with, with respect. And yes. And what I'm seeing, what I'm, I'm learning from, let's just say, people who are COVID believers, um, COVID believers, pandemic believers, shall I say, mm. uh, they're zipping them up in a bag and stuffing them in a box, and that's the end. 
Yeah, that- yeah, exactly. And I can't bring myself to do that. And mm-hmm. early on in the process, I was washing and dressing people, wondering when I would get in and die. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, I don't care. My urge to take care of people is too strong. And I was waking up every morning and <gasps> taking a deep breath and wondering, mm-hmm. you know, would I be all right that day? And I was, and, and another day and another day passed. And it became, it wasn't too long before I realized, you know, that, this isn't true. This the whole thing isn't Absolutely. true. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've a phenomenon I've, I've noticed among people who have vexed is that they go through a stage where they actually feel like they're superheroes, you know, Superman or Superwoman or something. They can oh, go anywhere. Yeah. They can travel. They can do anything. That they're, they're they're free, and that is such a delusion. Because I feel really, really sorry for them. I I can't. Um, I, I struggle to, to say anything negative about them because I'm desperate to re-engage with them so we yes, can save each other. Of course. Indeed, so indeed. It, it's, um, it, it's um, you know, it's a great strategy, divide and conquer, isn't it? Whether it be mm-hmm. uh, the vaccine or Black Lives Matter or, you know, they've made great efforts, haven't they, to alienate everyone. And, you know, some of my very best friends are African and, and, and Indian and Hindu people and, you know, Hindus in particular. What beautiful people they are. Yeah, they're all telling us Black Lives Matter and, and you know, uh, mm. they're, they're promoting uh, all this homophobia and they're things that just don't really exist, you know, and it's all designed to split us up and mm. divide us and it's worked, hasn't it? Black Lives Matter to me, BLM to me means uh, blatant um, lies and, and yeah, uh, manipulations. It it, you know, it's just... And any any uh, person of colour that I know who I've spoken to have, have totally agreed it's absolute rubbish. But the reality is, uh, for example, you can get a million and a half people walk through London protesting mm-hmm. about this these Nazi passports, um, and it's not news, is it? It's not even mentioned yet. You get two dozen climate change idiots block the M25 and it's mainstream news and, and people suck it up. They suck it up. They believe it. You know, they they work in insurance and they work as estate agents. So they come home, they kick their slippers off and they log on to Facebook and they watch mm-hmm. Netflix with a warm latte in front of their big flat screen telly. And that's as about in, as involved in it, uh, you know, as they get. They don't see, they only see what they want you to see, you know? Yeah. One, one of the things that, you know, we're all, we're all victims of, of programming and on yes, different levels, some much higher degrees than others. Yes. But I mean, if, if we look at something like a movie, I mean, when I was, uh, I don't know, teenager I, I enjoyed the movie uh amadeus it was uh um amadeus mozart of course yeah. and there's a very very dramatic scene i always remember the amazing uh you know piece of music the sequence where his his wife is racing back to see him and he's on his deathbed and his you know father he thinks his father is dressed up in this uh uh you know big black suit with a hood and, and the mask strangely enough and eventually mm-hmm. You know, she the wife doesn't quite make it in time, and it's all done to the beat of the music, and the, the, the horse is galloping, and so on through the night. But eventually, we the end of the movie is sorry if there's any spoilers out there, but you know, Mozart is put into a common grave amongst you know hundreds of other people. Apparently, he died of in the movie he died of some sort of plague or some sort of uh, uh, I guess viral uh, end came to him. And it was just a mass of bodies, which was covered with like uh, people shoveling in powdered lime. I think it is uh, sort of uh, to to make um, I don't know what it is to do is to sort of uh, yeah, sanitize, yeah, yeah. So, I guess. Yeah, try and sanitize. Yeah, trying to um, get that. But I mean, that that's the picture that we've sort of seen through Hollywood and through television. I'm not trying to say this is the reality, but you no. know, the, 
why is that not happening now if this pandemic is real? I mean, this is so far. I think you've kind of answered your own question because the pandemic isn't real. Um, What we are going to see very shortly is a huge death rate exclusively in vaccine recipients. Indeed. Indeed. I'm sorry to hear that, but at the same time, I, I don't think we're at the end of the tunnel yet. No, um, no, I, I don't as well. And I kind of, I've, I've got the greatest faith in, in good being a stronger force in love than being a stronger force in hate. So I kind of hope that um, if you think about it logically, the people that are responsible for this, if you, let me ask you a question. Sure. If you had a room full of these devils that have, uh, are arranging this, uh, um, how many people do you think are around them who love them? None. There won't be a single one. They'll be all very frightened of them. So, therefore, these people have no concept of love. They no. don't understand it. They won't um, have any comprehension of it or what people will do for that love. You know, a mother will throw herself into a burning house for the love of her child. We all know that. These people people don't understand that concept. And I think that will fundamentally be their undoing. They don't understand what people would do for love. And when people realize what these demons have done to us, Mm -hmm. even their own armies will turn on them, I'm convinced, because they'll Mm -hmm. understand what these people have done. I'd like to think we would get a helping hand from from the Lord or or the, the higher being, whoever it is, you know, um, but I, I'm convinced that we will win through. Um, but as with any wars, there are always casualties, aren't there? You know, uh, and this will be no exception, sadly. I think this is a war every bit World War Three, and it's on a biblical scale. Mm-hmm. I, I think, well, at one point, I think that because the vaccines are an experiment, I think by nature of every experiment, there must be uh, inert or neutral injections being given as well as of the, course i mean the the feeling is uh, certainly uh, the the feeling is among the scientific community and the people that i've spoken to that they're using something called the advocate system so the way that works is if you have for example uh, and they're very good at hiding the truth right in front of you aren't they so if Indeed. for example they say these these uh, vaccines are 85 percent effective they're 85 percent safe the 15% um, is designed to maim and kill. That's your COVID. Um, mm. But what you've done then is you've recruited 85% of the people who have taken a placebo, who are then advocates. They've been recruited as advocates, haven't they? Because they haven't caught COVID. The, the, the vaccines are totally safe. They certainly haven't got ill because they've had a placebo. Uh, and therefore, they're going to then advocate that. And I kind of wondered for a while, I thought, well, how are they going to target the people that have had a placebo? And then they announced regular boosters three a year for five years. So, so what you've got in effective is you turn up for a shot and it's a Russian roulette and you're either lucky or you're not. And, and the question I would pose to people is, do you think you can be lucky three times a year for five years? The answer is no, is the reality. Mm. So, um, but it's a very clever, it's insane genius, really, because you're, you're advocating 85% of the people you're, 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 you know, you're using them to recruit, you know, to kill kind of thing. It's amazing, genius. John, is there anything you'd like to bring our attention to, uh, anything for our listeners to follow or to look at? Is there a website or some information where we can find what you're up to? To be honest with you, there, there is no real update for me personally. All I would say is the same as I've said all along. 
these, these injections are very, very dangerous. They're in the experimental stage. They're maiming and killing people. COVID isn't a real fear to be wary of. Take your masks off. Um, what we need is massive non-compliance. Um, mm-hmm. And just don't, don't listen to these people because what they're telling you is not the truth. And, and this is not just from an undertaker who tells you his experience on the coalface, but for a number of extremely well-qualified um, uh, scientists and professors who are not on the government or big pharma payroll, you know? So, so my advice is, is, you know, I will never, ever, ever willingly be part of, of an experiment. Um, I would never, ever accept my human rights and the Geneva Code being violated um, and willingly accept these gene therapies. Um, you know, Dr. Mad, Mad, Madi, um, yes, was, was Kerry Maddie. Yeah, you only have to look at what's actually in these. It's horrific. It's horrifying. Mm. And, and I'd love to um, give my, my vaccine to Boris Johnson personally and put it in him <laughs> and see how he feels about having it, you know. Um, and I can tell you he won't take it. He won't say he'll sit there and have a placebo or be one of yeah. the dozens of faked videos where they pretend to put it in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not even decent enough to, 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 to make a good job of that, are they? You know, it's... Yeah, awful people. So my advice is just non-compliance, guys. Totally don't comply. Um, And I know that's hard when you've got bills to pay, and I totally get that, and it's easy for an undertaker to say that. But trust me, uh, we're all going to be shut down soon. It's only going to be a matter of time. You know, they're bringing in these Nazi-type passports. I'll never engage with those. I'm never going to comply. So, so, you know, my days are probably numbered as well. You know, it's it's, we're all in this together, aren't we, you know? Let's, let's keep going with the truth, and I, I admire what you're doing, and I appreciate you coming on the air and telling us oh, all the about the truth. It. Yeah, it's just the truth. You know, this has been my experience as a funeral director, uh, and what kind of guy would I be if I wasn't honest and didn't tell people? I'd be an awful guy, you know, and I refuse to be complicit in saying so heinous. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, artists, activists, and innovators who are wide awake and are already making great impacts. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research, to stop acquiescing, and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Remember, you were born with power and you wake up each day with power. It is entirely up to you how you choose to retain or give it away. You've been listening to another live broadcast of The Other Side of the News. It's 77th edition entitled Exhuming the Truth and remains available to all listeners free of charge at www.theothersideofthenews.com. My name is Timothy Saunders and together with Kintia Manetta, I offer special thanks to our guest, John Olumi. We wish you all a very positive week and look forward to reconnecting with you all on our next edition next Friday. Good night.